and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be continuing in our series on the mind-body connection and creating health and wellness through a deeper understanding of this relationship. This relationship, which has basically been marginalized by modern allopathic medicine and the medical industry, remains very much alive and thriving in the alternative approaches to understanding the way the mind and the body interact and influence each other, actually, and the way we can utilize our understanding of this relationship for creating better health and greater well-being. So on this journey this evening, we are gifted to have a wonderful, wonderful man who has been in this world for decades, Daniel Singer, who is a certified senior educator of Alexander Teachers and is on the staff of the American Center for the Alexander Technique Teacher Certification Program, graduating from the State University of New York at Buffalo. He himself later trained at the American Center for the Alexander Technique and was certified to teach this in 1981 by AMSAT, which is the American Society for the Alexander Technique. He also pursued postgraduate Alexander studies in London. He also helped to found the national professional organization, AMSAT, the main certifying agency for Alexander teachers in the United States. Additionally, Daniel has served on the faculties and continues to of Circle in the Square Professional Theater School, the Michael Howard Acting Studio, and the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Daniel maintains a private practice here in New York City, and he sees people from all different walks of life and will be speaking about the application of the technique of Alexander to people from all walks of life because it's really rather universally applicable. Daniel was also the lead author of the book called The Sacred Portable Now and is also a co-producer of a CD called The Back Alive Advantage based on principles of Alexander Technique self-lesson work. Additionally, Daniel has been trained and certified in the therapeutic uses of imagination by the American Institute for Mental Imagery, Dr. Gerald Epstein, who we've also had on the show a few times. And Daniel has worked very closely with Jerry for many years. In addition to teaching Alexander technique and working with imagery to help people, Daniel is also an electric mag- electromagnetic healer, a gift he was apparently born with, which he uses to assist people toward greater wellness. He's also an artist whose media have been glass blow- blowing as well as paint. He's a poet and has a passion for dancing the Argentine tango. And I've seen him do it. He's a very good, full, great grace. That's what I would say. So it's really a pleasure for me to welcome Daniel Singer onto the show. He's been Hello, on Mitchell. before some years back. Daniel, hi. So good to hear your voice and have you back pleasure on the show. Pleasure to be World. here, Mitchell. Pleasure to be so here. So glad. Talk to you, yeah. So I've made reference to Alexander Technique a number of times in describing your rich background, and uh, there are no doubt 
many listeners that don't know what it is. Could you give us a, a, a thorough picture of what it is and what we should understand about it? Well, you know, it's hard to give a thorough picture of anything with words, but I can do the best I can, which well, is to poet. say that... <laughs> which is to say that the uh, the Alexander Technique basically is a way of learning how you can get rid of harmful tension, period. And, mm. of course, as a human being, we're, we seem to be quite in need of our bodies, and the Alexander Technique is... Uh, is centered around the relationship between the mind and the body and the choices that we make. So, in a sense, it's a way of learning to move mindfully through life and to deal with inefficient habits of movement, uh, patterns of accumulated tension, which we create, unbeknownst to us, that interfere with our innate ability to move easily and to function well and to respond to circumstances in life with a certain kind of organic intelligence that we were originally gifted with but seems to have gotten submerged by our life experience. It's a simple and powerful approach. Yeah, it's a simple and powerful approach. You know, but it deals with... uh, you know, taking charge of your own learning and healing process in a sense because you're basically not getting a series of passive treatments when you take Alexander lessons, as we call them. But in fact, you're learning how to work with yourself in the rounds of daily life and begin to make new choices. Now, of course, this is a rather conscious uh, investigation that a person has to do in life to find out how they pull and push on their body unnecessarily when they do simple activities like walking, sitting, standing, bending, reaching, sitting at the computer, hanging out with friends and talking and having a cup of coffee. But, but basically, but uh, basically, the purpose of working on yourself consciously, which of course takes a little bit of extra attention, doesn't it, to do something like yeah. that? It, it takes a, con- a commitment and a little bit of commitment, a little bit of interest, a lot of interest actually, and a certain uh, um, a willingness to become more aware of what you're doing. But the, the ultimate purpose is to allow us to become more uh, naturally attracted to openness in ourselves. And then we sort of, uh, the the kinesthetic sense becomes more educated by the choices that we periodically make when we make a conscious intervention. So Alexander's work, one could say, is to raise the standard of kinesthetic sense. What I mean by that is that when a person, for example, anybody who is listening to this program is doing something with their body, which no doubt, from a certain point of view, uh, if you went into it as a deep slouch or something like that, 
you could pro- you would probably not feel comfortable if you decided to slouch a certain way. Eventually, your body would just say, hey, I don't like this, right? So in a certain yeah. sense, that sort of automatic response is what we're sort of getting to eventually. <laughs> eventually, that yeah. we're going to raise the standard of the body's sense of making new choices. Now, of course, it's not really the body that's making the choices. It's a body-mind. It's a human being. It's a consciousness that is much larger than a body only, or it includes the brain. Any way you want to frame it doesn't really matter, but it's the whole self. So Alexander called his work an investigation into the use of the self. So the use of the self is the choices that we make when we choose to do something and we can work on those choices in the head-neck-back relationship so that we can honor our organic and original freedom in the most, um, let's say, healthful and happy way for the human being. <laughs> so, uh, did I leave anything out for you on that? <laughs> Well, I think that was very thorough, actually. I like that. Uh, went from the simplicity of yeah, it's an everyday, understanding it's an everyday our moment-to-moment movements yeah. to uh, looking at um, kind of the broader picture of our mind and body interactions and the way one speaks to the other. And, you know, it's a, it's a mutual conversation. So yes, it is actually a lot of points in a short amount of time. Yes, well, when you speak about this, you know, the interesting thing about the Alexander Technique is it has a, a wide spectrum of interests and curiosities and, uh, and actual uh, purposes uh, that it's used for. It really depends on who I'm talking to about it and where the, what the conversation is about. Uh, it's marvelous. Of course, most people come to an Alexander teacher usually because of a complaint in the body, very often neuromuscular in nature, right? Mm-hmm. They have pain or they somebody told them they have horrible posture or their acting teacher said that they have to... Uh, they have to work on things like alignment and ease in breathing and things like that. So they come to people come for all kinds of people come from sports from the sports world because they want to do their sport with greater ease and in keeping with the way their original design was meant to work, right? And they come for that, and then they get better results in what they're doing. But within that, there's a whole range of interesting uh, pieces of the puzzle about living that show up. It has to do with being more, because the the way in which we self-educate this kinesthetic sense, this sense that feels more comfortable, could feel more comfortable being open when it does something, the way we educate it is by our own efforts in life 
or should I say our non-efforts, <laughs> because it's really not about efforting, it's about undoing, getting rid of yes. the unnecessary. You see, mm -hmm. Alexander's work is different from telling somebody to stand up straight, open your shoulders, be right. All such things are complete nonsense for our work. Yeah. Our work is, this work in the Alexander Technique is much more, um, shall I say, it has a more zen feel to it in the sense that you're you're learning you're learning that what you think is necessary isn't because there's something bigger alexander was uh, said at one point in he was quoted as saying to one student to somebody who was listening to the lesson outside of the door he said you know if you stop doing the wrong thing the right thing will do itself. I think it's a beautiful statement. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's great because wisdom. you see, we're always pushing and we're always pushing and pulling with the same effort, the same desire, the same wanting, the same trying, which got us into the predicament in the first place. Exactly. So Alexander fact, used to say, the, "A crooked uh, man walked a crooked mile." Yes. Yes. I mean, what I understand and have experienced as well with Alexander Technique, both with you and with a, a prior teacher that I had many, many moons ago, was that less is more, that principle that we <clears throat> see show up in a lot of the mainly Eastern uh, spiritual traditions, that in one sense you're doing less because you're not bringing forward your standard habituated thought and movement, you're letting go of those undesired tensions that we've become so accustomed to, we don't even realize are there, basically yes. what you were suggesting earlier. Right, exactly. So imagine if, the, yeah. Yeah, imagine if the, imagine if we, if, if we really, you know, let's say a person says, oh my, I always find myself hunched over. Well, what would happen if hunching over <laughs> or pulling you know pulling on your on your neck just to just to uh to use a mouse on a computer right yes or tightening your neck just to read something on the computer for example modern modern day mm -hmm. uh what if you actually could feel that as a discomfort enough that you wouldn't your body would would reject doing it you see that's the kinesthetic sense learning exactly. so but of course at first the only way to do that was with, with a certain kind of a an intention that really has to shun trying yet the intention mm -hmm. the interest the curiosity and the decisions and the choices must be in place so what those choices are and how we can approach them is pretty much what an Alexander teacher's job is. And they use their words, they use their hands, and they help a student to find their way into this very interesting re-educational pro process. And then what starts to happen is, as the person stops using the muscles the old way, 
and they and the muscles are then the deeper muscles or the more organized and sensible muscles that were made to really work in the body when they start to engage themselves more then the actual shape of the body even changes over time and we make a distinction between those two things the choice you make when you're practicing to become more open which is you know has its it has its its moments of great freedom and it's also a little bit of a how can i put it it's a construct it's something that we do it's an educational means that we do to educate ourselves further over time by doing that then the even the body starts to cooperate because the resting lengths of the bus, muscles start to conform to these new intentions why because through repetition muscles change because the brain says to the musculature hey i just like when you go to the gym i see you're pulling on this bar a lot with a certain amount of resistance right and the the brain muscle says you betcha that's what i'm doing and the brain says okay i'll therefore make it easier for you and i'll send in certain chemicals and and change and I'll send commands to the musculature that will will actually make the muscle uh tighter, shorter and uh and and uh, start to change the resting lengths of the muscles and then before you know it you have biceps. Yeah. You see from doing that. Well, the same function is actually occurring in a less dramatic way through life. The reason why people have sort of all kinds of gait and postural issues which the Alexander technique is very famous for dealing with as well as why they have back pain can be seen and we see it mostly that way as Alexander teaches can can be seen from the point of view of what did we do to ask ourselves to go to go through this circumstance that created the body that way what choices did we have we been making and then how do those choices through repetition turn into uh something which is either felt or in the case of if you're talking about visual posture in the case of bad posture well you know uh you know yes. my 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 mother was a lovely human being uh open-hearted wonderful person and and at the end of her life you know she had she had a strong forward forward neck right her neck was very forward mm-hmm. and you know and and that's comes from the fact that she used to move her she used to move her face forward uh in a loving gesture to connect to people and it would pull the neck with it you see and then over time it becomes it becomes the the musculature wants to make that easier and easier for her so eventually the neck is way forward and it's not in keeping with the way the body design was originally made right. i had the same tendency until i began and still have the tendency but it's far 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 improved from what it was and th- that tendency of talking to people by craning my neck uh doesn't show up as much as it used to Maybe so then, quite Daniel, significantly so. Yeah, is that there is a an emotional underlay of some sort or belief system.
them or both that underlie the physical posturing. So your mother, in that case, was looking to engage someone. And Absolutely. And she was going forward to offer It was a very herself. loving, warm, emotional impulse, <laughs> feeling impulse. Exactly. Yes. And then that became, you could almost say, photographed by the brain. And the brain, as you were putting it very well, uh, makes it easier, in this case, for your mother to exactly. be offering. And it, it wants to be more that. Yes. And it loses, the body then loses some of its elasticity probably, and certainly it loses what you called its instinct, uh, instinctive and organic position or posture. And it gets a little lost in the mix. And right. I would say it's the technique helps it, to restore yeah. that. I would say it's, it's, it loses its original um, organic. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say posture for the following reason. I don't disagree with you. I want to say I don't disagree with the word posture, really, in real terms. Of course, posture is deeply influenced by the Alexander Technique. But what's different about the use of the word posture with Alexander Technique is that what we're going for is, and perhaps everybody who uses the word is going for this, but in Alexander, we're very interested in it. We are looking for a condition of freedom. And mm -hmm. if you apply the wrong principle of achieving what people think is improved posture because uh -huh. it appears more upright, you don't necessarily do yourself uh, Either a lot of, well, you might do yourself some good, maybe. I'm not suggesting it's the end of the world uh, to think the other way. But it, you might actually uh, just be putting yourself into a new state of tension. So it's a very tricky uh, area we're negotiating there because putting yourself in a new state of tension to get out of an old state of tension isn't really productive. It's still it's tension. Still a state of tension. Right. So, so what it, we're it's incremental. Here, the changes we do are, are, are incremental, and they happen over time with work on yourself. So Alexander technique is not an instantaneous cure. It is a. It is an entrance. It is a doorway. As I said to somebody, it's a gateway. It's a gateway into an investigation of the choices that you're making that you do over time under the guidance mm. of a teacher, and, uh, and little by little, perhaps, yes, the posture and perhaps even some of the underlying emotional content, as you were talking about it, might actually loosen. Exactly. So what we're seeing here is that what I'm hearing, uh, to mix some of the uh, sensory input, is that... <laughs> Yes, we are there on radio. Is, after all, right? But we're painting pictures. <laughs> we're painting pictures you on betcha. radio. You betcha. <laughs> right? Right, so, right. Um, it's, it's like we may attain or uh, arrive at a, at a certain kind of, let's say, more organic posture, but our way of getting there 
normally, conventionally, or through the Alexander portal is different. So by going through the Alexander to see if I'm getting it is that you may be letting go of a number of habituated uh, movements or even thoughts and feelings. (laughs) And you'll be, by so doing, arriving at a place of greater, what we would call straighter, more organic posture. Yes. Yes. I, I... I think you said it quite, quite, quite clearly for the audience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. It's like going into, since you're also a painter, it's kind of looking at the the negative space. You know, that space that isn't the object, and working yes. with it. Right. You know, Alex. Yes, indeed. And in fact, Alexander technique is uh, is an interesting. Alexander's said. And this is the case for uh, Alexander teachers that we that the work his work is about is really about inhibition. Now, what he meant by that was that no matter which way we try to go, the first step in doing any investigation into what we're doing when we make a choice, the very first step is not to do it. Now, that's a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. What he's suggesting is that when a person chooses to do something, the brain acts so quickly that the only well that it can dip into is the habitual well. It can use habits Mm. that are familiar and easily accessed. And that's what happens automatically, mechanically, exactly. And that's what will happen. So the whole body will respond in a, not even realizing it, people not realizing it, in a very reactive, tight, and tensing way just to put a key in the door to unlock your front door or to lift a coffee cup. Or you see how it becomes a question of daily life, of what you're doing? So Alexander said the only way you can you can create a learning process for yourself would be to take, if you want to convert a moment into a learning process for yourself, then the only thing you could really do would be to feel the, know that you want to do something. I'm going to put my key in the door and then not to do it. It's a strange idea, but what that actually does And that's called inhibiting. It's a strange idea, but what it does is it gives just a little bit of time, just a little bit of time for the the human being who was was about to put their key in the door and is still about to put their key in the door. In other words, the stimulus of putting the key in the door is still staring them in the face. And yet they refuse to act. 
Now, by doing that, there must be some kind of a brain change. But as 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 we talk about it in oh, there is, in, in, there yes, is. and and as we talk about it in more contemporary terms, although I'm not, I'm not a. a, a you know, I'm not like somebody who's who's heavy into that, but I have read a certain amount uh, about it and discussed it with colleagues, uh, the, the, the neuroscience research and such things. But the main thing people have to remember is that when they stand in front of something and they ref- and they know they're going to do it and they refuse to do it, they have created a space, and in that space, they have the opportunity to make a new choice. Now, that might sound very banal, right? Except it's really the key to change. Because without that space, you can't make any new decisions. Now, what the decisions are that you have to make, what you have to actually, how you have to actually allow the body, in a sense, to be freed up in order to put the key in, is something which you can't really figure it out. But what you can do is very, very delicately, very delicately but very consciously, wish for openness in yourself when you do it. Now, that wish was broken down into words, and I think it actually could also work as a an image. I like to work with imagery in it. But basically, Alexander had words that he used. Another place for you to go instead of the impulse to run and stick the key in the door. And he would say, before you do anything, ask yourself in a very simple, unsearching way, just in the quietest. You know, it's it's almost. It's not really uh, metaphysical in that sense but it is and it's not it's not really a metaphysic but in a sense you're asking yourself to uh to take on an intention and what's the intention that your neck uh, that your neck is not being tightened that your head is not being pulled onto your spine that your torso is lengthening and widening and and that your arms are coming out of your back so that when you stick your your key into the door you have sort of washed reality with a new intention now you can't do those things you can't make your neck free alexander said uh, very wisely which takes years to really understand is we really don't know the right we can't really figure out the right thing just like we let's say uh, let's say we no, let's say a person knows... You're being very clear, Daniel. You're being wonderfully let, clear. Let's say a person knows something about... Uh, thank you. Um, I'm glad I am, because uh, I can't tell from this side of the equation, which is exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm right. talking about, which is we can't really know when we're when we're okay, when we're right, when the system is working okay, when it's working well. What we can begin to notice is when we are interfering, when we are interfering. That is all we can really know on a feeling level, on a kinesthetic level. Unfortunately, people try to feel really good, and that's a big mistake uh, if you work from that side of the equation. It doesn't mean 
that doing what I'm telling you doesn't make you feel good, perhaps quite profoundly so, it, it can. But yes. working from the other side of the equation where you go looking for feeling good in my head, neck, back relationship, we end up creating new tension through that search. And that was the conundrum which Alexander discovered that was so particularly unique to his work, so particularly unique. It's an amazing discovery that he made as a Westerner. And mm-hmm. it's very Zen, right? And in a certain it is, sense, in fact, it really is. I was, it really is. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking as you were speaking earlier, uh, yeah. when you go to open the door with the key and you yeah. stop, on right. one hand, it is a bit like a koan, you know. How right, do you exactly. open the door with the key right. by not the key doing so? The key opens itself, right. The, the, door key, opens. Right, the key to life itself also. But right, I was right. also well, thinking of the, of the Taoist way, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. way of, you know, my old yes, teacher Bob yes. used to define yeah. it as nothing doing. So exactly. there you are, essentially. <laughs> nothing doing. <laughs> right? Nothing doing. It's the doing that isn't doing. It's the action that right. isn't doing. Yes. That's it's right. an action, though, so because a river has way wu. Right. Yeah. Way, right, wu way. So if you think about it also just kind of neurologically, neurophysiologically, what you see is that there is an intention which sets, I'll do my best here, sets a certain neurological um, network into motion. And then by will, you inhibit it to stay true Alexander. And in NLP, by the way, Neuro Linguistic Programming, we call that same phenomenon a pattern interrupt, where we deliberately stop. Yes, exactly. Truth is truth. That's right. From a different perspective. I love right. that pattern Modality. interrupt. I love that term. Pattern interrupt. And it is. And so at that moment, there is oxygen flowing. There's a neurological mm-hmm. electricity, you know, ready to engage. But the will has interceded in this very subtle, very gentle, moment-to-moment way that stops the process from the neurons being doing their neurological habituation slash entrenchment. So that all of a sudden allows for a different chemistry and a different bioelectrical relationship to emerge. As you were saying, there's, there's something novel that shows up, which is another moment for learning, frankly. That's correct. Okay. And then that learning can translate into uh, a new way of being, when you open the door, and then over yes. time, the shoulder pain heals. That uh-huh. that you you see there because you every go. time you were sticking your hand in that direction, you were doing something to yourself which was uh, the body wasn't designed to do. You know the joints define how they're they're basically. If you look at them, they'll tell you how they like to move. <laughs> very often, you know, if you look at a skeleton, just like a door hinge, you know, but if you hang on a door Uh hinge, it'll fall, it'll eventually loosen up and cause pain for the, uh, for the door, for for the building, you know, it'll tear out, it'll fall down, it'll, right? Yeah. It doesn't work. The structure becomes... Yet a door, 
That's correct. But a door in Europe, in a, a, a church that's been there since 1542, the same door hinges work perfectly because everybody opened them by the way they were designed, and nobody mm-hmm. hung hung on the door, right? And they were well mm-hmm. well made, just like we are. So there is a there is a, and then what happens is when the body stops being abused for when it walks, when it bends, then it can, it will naturally tend to heal itself of pain and sorrow that people come to me with all kinds of problems. And the problems of pain can be, uh, can be eliminated or certainly they don't have they they certainly can why don't we say yeah, that they can be neutralized or they can they certainly don't have to be exe- they certainly you don't certainly have to get worse you can get start the process of getting better and sometimes it's miraculous what happens to people very quickly other times it's a little slower but they do ch- but they stop the process of going downhill and then they start reversing and before you know it they become very uh, very interested in living a more open life that doesn't hurt themselves as much so they're not hurting their back when they when they move and they're not hurting themselves when they bend and not hurting themselves when they reach for a cup of coffee and so the neuromuscular system then just tends back towards its natural happiness because the body can change Mm-hmm. So, so the original complaints that people come for are tend to be uh, in that direction, and um, although some people have come for other things, there's all kinds of things they come for. They come to because they want to sing better. <laughs> they're a singer, yes, or they sit in at a fact, computer I and they first... and they have car- carpal tunnel syndrome and they don't realize that that part of the tension that they've created in their wrist is coming. Uh, in fact, most of it is coming from the attitude and the mindset and the choices that they're unconsciously making when they are using the computer. And so you can change that. You see such things. Yes. I originally so. came to Alexander Daniel uh, myself back in the, oh my, uh, very early 80s mm-hmm. uh, for preventative. I, I was simply curious about what it was. I had read yes. uh, Alexander's book on the technique and how it evolved, and I found it fascinating, and I met someone who uh, taught it. And so for educational and preventative reasons, I wanted to engage, and uh, I did, and I am just so enriched from it. And at one point he asked if I played an instrument. Well, I used to play some piano, and he had me then sit down at the piano. I'm thinking about the carpal tunnels and computers. And he showed me how I could move in a way that through inhibition, as you were describing, uh, through doing less, through becoming conscious of all the positions of my arms and my wrists and my elbows and my shoulders and my neck and my spine and my legs and my hips, everything, how I could use my fingers on the keyboard in a way that was completely new to me. And the wonderful thing... It was a simple, subtle shift. And the interesting thing is it's basically about how we use the head 
the neck, and the back when we use our arms. That's mm-hmm. its basic core. And in other words, it's, very, it's, it's a very simple investigation that is repeated throughout life, the same principle of keeping, of allowing, excuse me, uh, not keeping anything. You want yes. to allow the organism, the head, neck, and torso relationships uh, to be alive and well when you are using your arms, alive and well yes. when you are using yes. your legs, Beautiful. alive and well when you're using your fingers, open and free when you're using your fingers. So it's, it, the, details, the details are important about... Ever important. You know, ever, ever important, important, and yet the details, and yet the, in a certain sense, it's a general, it's a general approach to specific problems like the wrist problem because we deal with the same. The head-neck back relationship is the trunk of the tree from which all else comes, and it's the beginning place where the, these fears, these fear reflexes, which are being triggered because they're they're deep instinctive things that that are being misapplied that are deep in the you know deep in our um lower brain and you know mm-hmm. where 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 the the brain negotiates which way to go whether it's yes, goes to exactly. fright or or to as you put it um to that uh, that place where higher, that higher function is which is which is yeah which is the which is the which is the cortex and the cortex has the executive function and can make some choices too so that it can educate itself yeah i'd like to circle back to the circle and the square if you would and that sure. is to say that you work with actors and actresses oh and not yeah at circle in the square at michael howard studio and at others, at, at amda exactly. at amda yes yes and so i it brings to mind the usefulness of this for people in the world of acting, but it also reminds me of Alexander's own original story about how all of this came about. Would you mind taking a few minutes and educating our audience about how this all came into being? Uh, Yes, well, very simply, Alexander was... uh, Put it in simplest terms, he was an actor who lost his voice when he was on Australian stage. Australian-born, correct? That is correct. And he uh, he was uh, on stage reciting regularly as an actor, and every time he would recite Shakespeare, uh, it was like vaudevillian recitations, he started losing his voice right midstream of his presentation. Not an easy thing for an actor to endure. So he went everywhere. He went looking and for cures to his problem, and nobody seemed to help him. So he basically took, took on the, the question himself, and as the story goes, he set up a lot of mirrors and started watching and realized that he was doing some pretty strange things to himself when he was reciting that didn't make a lot of sense to him. Now, some people would say, how come he was able to see that? that he was pulling on his neck and depressing his larynx when he was reciting Shakespeare. He was doing such an unnecessary action, and he was able to perceive it. Well, I think it's because he was raised in Tasmania, in Australia, and he was um, uh, interested in uh, horse horses. Horses were all over the place, and everybody was always looking at horses for 
for the purposes of betting and, you know, owning horses and wanting them to run in the races and such things. And uh, there was a lot of that that went on. And he was a good. He was observing horses and noticing what he was sort of keyed into that world of what's good movement. What makes sense? How can I predict this horse by the way it's walking? How can I predict how it will be in the race? And could I make a bet on it? <laughs> he so liked he was the bet. very tuned in to subtle, small. I think so. He doesn't make the link, but people know this about him. You see, and I think yes. that that's part of his part of his his, his upbringing was like that. Uh, there was that was that goes in, what goes in very deep when it's with friendships and your whole way of dealing with life, hanging out yeah. with your friends and deciding which is a good horse, and you know, and looking sure. at, at nature that way. So he looked. He was basically practicing a form of um, uh, what uh, Nicholas Tinbergen, who won the Nobel Prize in 1973, called uh, ethology. He it's the first time I ever heard the word, which is the study of animal behavior. Ethology is the study mm-hmm. of animal behavior. And he said this is the first application of that that he knows of to humans in the medical field because Tinbergen uh, really um, really had an incredibly marvelous... He, you know, he, his, his daughter asked him to go take the technique because she had st- studied it in London and he was in... He was in Scandinavia, I think in Sweden. I'm not sure, but I think it was Sweden. And um, and Tinberger wrote that uh, he wrote that between the three of us, we already noticed with growing amazement very striking improvements. This is after he and his wife and his daughter were taking lessons. In, uh, improvements in such diverse things as high blood pressure, breathing, de- depth of sleep, overall cheerfulness and mental alertness resilience against outside pressures and also in such a refined skill as playing a stringed instrument so they covered them all so he said he went on to say that so from personal experience we can already confirm some of the seemingly fantastic claims made by alexander and his followers namely that many types of underperformance and even ailments both mental and physical can be alleviated sometimes to a surprising extent by teaching the body musculature to function differently. I would say the body, mind, musculature, but that's okay. Yes. And that's what he said. And he was a Nobel, he, he received the Nobel Prize and he gave this, these words come from his acceptance speech at the Nobel Prize. He wanted oh, the world to my. know about Alexander's discoveries. And he actually devoted a real chunk of his speech to Alexander. It's strange. He just took it as a it's because his daughter wanted him to take lessons. <laughs> yeah, so, that's so interesting. That's so yeah, it's interesting, interesting right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like so to wonderful. get into, in our um, closing portion here, uh, mm-hmm. to look at this whole subject. Although, I, before I do that, I invite you to speak about this. I can't help but think also, since you've brought us to that more European part of the world, Daniel, the world yeah. of uh, that's in the film The King's Speech. Oh, yes. It reminded me terribly the, of Alexander. Oh, I actually I was, thought, I was in, through my own naivete, I, I thought it was Alexander. Exactly. Undercover. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was somebody else <laughs> who wasn't. had their own their own methodology, their own approach. Alexander it would have done so it differently. It was parallel, though. It was, it was so parallel, parallel it, to Alexander. In, in some ways, yes, in, in, and 
And, um, you know, it was a little different from, you know, there were many, I, we could discuss that at length because it, it's a very, I would have to see the film again, but I, I recall yeah. it was, you know, the work with Alexander was less about the relationship that you had with your teacher as much as it was simply sort of practicum. He, his work was very uh, straightforward yeah. with each person, and one after another, they would take their lessons and they would leave. Right. It wasn't this kind. This was a very unique relationship between More two people, and very, very, very. It doesn't mean he didn't have personal relationships like that with with certain students, but it really wasn't the basis of his. That wasn't of his thing. of his educational approach, but there, but but it, it was terribly, uh, terribly reminding of Alexander in so many wonderfully. Re, I shouldn't say terribly, wonderfully reminding of Alexander in the yes. sense that there that there was a person who was receiving help for their voice, for their That's problems right. with That's with vocalization, right. with speech, with impediments, you know, and uh, and Alexander so, helped I, stutterers. He helped stutterers. Right. It was, he, he wrote a whole thing about it, which is very interesting, you know. So let's go but it wasn't historically, Alexander. Our closing minutes here, uh, a very beautifully articulated, subtle domain of the work that you've shared with me before that I would love to share with our audience, which is the area of reactivity which you really have already um, addressed to some extent in the inhibition uh, but there's more that I'd like to hear if you would about what happens when we do the inhibition do the inhibition see yeah, I'm right, completely right. It's just the way you're wired talking. to the we're West talking. Yeah. it's the way we're it is talking. And, but if you would just Share with us that space of the distinction between reactivity and let's call it activity and what happens in the body, mind, and brain to just lay yeah. out some of this exquisite detail that Alexander himself was really the leading edge on in many ways. Yes, well, he was basically moving a person from from reactivity to response, one could say. Mm -hmm. My words, not his. But to be truly reactive in a healthful way towards situations in life, uh, we have to take the fear out of the reaction. And that's what I would call, once the fear is out of the reaction, then it's a response. <laughs> you see? Yes. To me, I mean, I ju just for the purposes of having two categories, it doesn't really have it. to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be those categories. But uh, then the question is, of course, you know, what is what is the what is the disease that makes us uh, get all hysterical when the cell phone rings? You know, to stop it, right? To grab it, or mm -hmm. a person hears a text message and they reach into their pocket and their whole body goes into a certain frozen strange yeah. condition, the head neck gets pulled back and down. What is it? Well, it is the misapplication of fear, unduly stimulated fear reflexes in the body, which have become sort of, you know, uh, part and parcel to civilization. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's, uh, 
In other words, we were we were actually designed to be far more intelligent than we are, <laughs> and yeah. not to be ruled only uh, by. You see, because we well, you could say, well, how come animals don't have that problem? Well, because animals didn't create. Uh, a complex world like we have created for ourselves, which comes from the ability to imagine, to to discover, to invent, to build things, to tear down forests, to tighten, to take metals and turn them into watches, right? The, the animals don't do those things. Uh, to write poetry, they don't have those functions. Uh, that have been built into them, and uh, and we have created very complex things, but we haven't necessarily allowed ourselves to fill it out with the uh, with with the further pieces which would be necessary for our full consciousness to blossom, which would be to get out of uh, out of our past. Because our past is full of pain and imitation, right? Pain and imitation. In other words, we learn things from other people, so it gets passed on. It's what what uh, what uh, Wilhelm Reich, the uh, controversial uh, psychologist, psychoanalyst, uh, psychiatrist, called the emotion. It's in a certain sense, it's an emotional plague that's passed on from generation to generation. He called. He saw it from that point of view, from the emotional point of view, and uh, in a sense, I kind of agree with that, <laughs> because we're, we're we're taught, we're trained with a lot of fear. And when you meet people who weren't trained, who weren't brought up that way, they they use themselves with less tension. Simply, simple as that. They simply use their body with less tension. They're using their mind with less tension. They're using their psychophysical self. The entire use of so, the self is back into yeah. a, into its natural response, closer to its natural response patterns, because they're not riddled with fear. And the only thing we know from our habits is to use the fear reflexes. You know. So when uh, one engages the Alexander technique in this context. Dot dot dot. In which, in which context? In the context of stepping out of the reactivity and then engaging a novel way of activity. Oh, that's yes. Then that you make the, you, you basically are making a space. Uh, you're making a space uh, to uh, to make another choice besides the old. Uh, I, the old sort of response patterns that would automatically show up to uh, to gain the end that you want. Let's say you want to go over to your air conditioner and turn it on or turn it off or whatever it is you want to do. Well, within that want to do, the only thing the body-mind knows is what it's familiar with and what's easiest. So what it's familiar with and what's easiest um, from its own taste of itself, which is the kinesthetic sense, is the old habits, which actually, objectively, are inefficient and aren't the easiest. <laughs> but we imagine they are. In the same way that a, a person who is an addict thinks it's 
it's much easier to have a fix than it is to not have a fix. It's an addi- you see, it's like the same kind of a model in a f- funny sort of way. Our habits are our habits. Habits are habits. They feel habits feel right. They, they feel, feel easier. Anyway. They feel they feel easier. You see. So basically, instead of gaining the end, the possibility is to learn to uh, to not put as much stress into the action. And that would take some conscious work on the part of a person under the guidance of an Alexander teacher. Yes. You know, I always say to my students... Beautiful work, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah, I always say to... It's beautiful work. I always say to my students, uh, that is the clients that come to me um, and the students that I teach in in, uh, institutions, I always say to them that the real work isn't this class... The real work, ultimately, will be what happens between classes. You have to apply it to life. It's not a treatment. It, can't, it will not last just by having a nice class or a good experience, you know? The, um, it reminds me of my experience with tango, that it's one thing to take a lesson and learn something, but it's another thing to go out and dance and apply what you learned in the lesson repeatedly. Yes. Yeah. This is the hard part for people. This today. is the hard part. Because it takes work. <laughs> it takes application of self with attention. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, we live yeah. in a fix-me kind of world, you know, culture. We do. But you know what I think it is, Mitchell? I think... It, what if I, I think that if a person believed that they would get a million dollars if they would look after these things, something that they want to look after, a simple thing like like pausing before they open the door, before they mm-hmm. put the, the key in the door, if they thought that doing, if they knew that doing that every time they opened the door would give them a million dollars at the end of uh, the month, you betcha they would yeah. do it. So I think yeah. it's on the side of wanting. You have to, yeah. you have to really want it, and that's my my feeling at this point. Um, well, I don't think people Daniel, want Daniel. it. I don't think people want it, want things enough. So therefore, they sabotage their themselves yeah. by not applying sufficiently what it is they know they want to do. We all have that problem. Mm-hmm. I have that problem in certain areas of my life, and I think this is true yeah. with all of us. Yes, we have things which we simply don't feel mo- we don't do because we're not enough motivated, right? Yes. But when a person has a back problem, they get motivated. <laughs> so right. there's something and to gain. Usually, you you're implying, of course, that it's oftentimes pain that yeah, is it's the often motivating pain. force. Often pain. You know. Often pain. Often the case. So. Yes. Often Please share with our audience your contact information in case someone would want to. Get in sure. In lieu of a, in lieu of work. a, uh, in lieu of an official website, they can just contact me by email at dsingerny at aol dot com, or they can just call me at two one two nine three two one six two four, and I'll be happy to get back to them. That's wonderful. That's two one two nine three two sixteen twenty four for Daniel. Correct. Senior mm-hmm. Alexander teacher. Daniel, 
such a pleasure having you on again. It was a great pleasure for me, Mitchell. Thank you for having me on. So much. Absolutely. It's deeply enriching. And uh, keep up the great work. You're so good at it, and I so appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. Daniel Singer, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for decades at this point, and uh, I have had a lesson with him. I have experienced what it's like with his very careful, conscious guidance, a real pleasure and such warmth in the work that he does. And I've also had the pleasure of knowing him not just as a uh, teacher of Alexander, but also as a friend and colleague in the domain of health and wellness and consciousness. And I can highly recommend him, truly, for the work that he does. It's just rich and it's subtle and it has a very real physiological and health implications and ramifications and this is something we didn't go on at length about but believe me it was implied in all that Daniel was sharing if you think about it for a moment if we were to utilize our body the way it was biologically designed and didn't add all the extras that we do by force of habit and simply learning, mimicking our parents, which is the way we learn, not a problem with that, but we learn both to stand up, you know, let's say organically somewhat straight, but we also learned a lot of other little ticks and uh, flaws to the biologically accurate system, natural system of movement and standing and sitting, etc. And Alexander, of course, addresses that. That's the whole thing, as Daniel put it so well. So I just want to leave you with uh, a broader understanding of how we can utilize our own body's energy, our mind's attention, by clarifying and being conscious of our movement. Another really interesting uh, modality, like similar with real differences as well, is the work of Moshe Feldenkrais and what we know as the Feldenkrais technique. And while these occupy a a generally similar category, it mainly brings greater attention to what we've all automated and pay very little attention to until something becomes chronic and we say, why didn't I pay attention to this before? Or I didn't know I had that kind of problem and no one gave you feedback, the mirror didn't give you feedback, and someone like Daniel Singer wasn't given the opportunity to give you feedback. So I say be proactive, be preventative, and before things break down, do something about them. And that's just part of what we talk about here at A Better World, of being conscious, of being preventative, and so-called, yeah, well, I'll put it this way, doing the right thing before you go about doing the wrong thing. And oftentimes, no matter what, the wrong thing frequently leads to doing things right. 
so, but do it without tension, as Daniel was saying earlier. Anyway, I want to just thank you all for tuning in. You know we have a weekly newsletter that comes out that you can sign up for at www.abetterworld.tv. Please join our A Better World family, our community, always expanding across borders and boundaries of states and nation states across Europe and Asia and South America and South Africa and all over the world. We are pleased to welcome you all to what we do here because we're really involved in creating a better world for all and whether you stand up or sit up straight or not or are energetically efficient and tuned in or not this is a place to learn about all of this kind of subtle gray area sometimes this very minute movements and even thoughts create movement it's really interesting you know you've heard me talk about the psycho-emotional profile of every movement and there's a a biochemical and a biohormonal profile for every thought so when you really start to slice and dice so to speak you see the subtlety and the magnificence of the human mind body organism and the respect it really deserves and the attentiveness we really uh, need to bring forward to it so on that note I also want to remind you that we are a 501c3 a better world foundation that is uh, kind of in charge of a better world radio and TV uh, receives donations and gives tax deductible uh, um, uh, what do you say um, status to all of those any of you who are kind enough to help keep us sustained so thank you very much and that also goes for my services as well as a holistic therapist stress management consultant biofeedback practitioner and uh, you know the um, promulgator of the harmonic energetic balancing program which again is another very subtle space for helping to keep us healthy and alive and attentive and conscious and the like. So please be part of our community. Visit our two websites, abetterworld.tv, listen to our radio archives, it's all for free, and visit at mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com for the work that I do in the healing world of conflict resolution and healing in many domains, energetic, etc. So thank you again. Make sure to give Daniel Singer a call if you find this work interesting and you want to be preventative or you want to address an issue that has uh, surfaced in your life regarding the way your mind and body interact and tolls that you may have been uh, putting on your body. And his number again, I will uh, seek to find it for you quickly before we run out of time here, is, here we go, 212 932 
1624. Also, uh, in closing, remember that I love getting your feedback, and you can address that to our phone number, 212-420-0800, 212-420-0800, or even better, by email, mjr at abetterworld.net. Thanks again for joining tonight, and look forward to seeing you all next week.